0: I'm Seth. And I'm Jonathan. And welcome to No Experts Allowed. You know what we love? The Bible. You know what we don't love? When people use the Bible to scare or hurt others, instead of allowing it to transform them and their communities. So we're trying something different. Two Bible nerds
1: hosting a podcast that isn't about technical details, but is about two
0: simple questions. What's the story? And what's the point? One of us will prepare for the conversation. Let's call them the non-expert. The other will respond to the story as they hear it. We'll call them, and you, the storyteller. So we can show you that you don't need to be an expert to hear the Bible speak to our world. Join us.
1: Let's tell a good story today.
0: Hello, Jonathan.
1: Hey, howdy, hey, Seth. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. How are you? Good. You sound so clear, so crisp.
0: Looks like you're back at home. Did you have a good trip? Yeah, we had a great trip. We survived because I was a relatively defensive driver as opposed to all the the very aggressive ones. So it's good to be with you. I had to survive so I could do this episode. I know. I'm glad you did. (laughs) Otherwise, I would just be
1: talking to myself like, you know, most of the week. Well, before we start,
0: I have a very important question for you. I'm here for it. You know I am. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to have a chocolate fountain that was endless or an endless cheese fountain? Oh, (laughs) that was a good noise. Yeah, it was some
1: combination of like deep desire and deep disgust, I think. Yes. <laughs> if I'm being honest, the only thing that comes to mind is the new collab that has the Kraft mac and cheese ice cream. I don't know if oh, you've seen yeah. this. Stephen Colbert talked about it on Meanwhile a few days ago, and he had it in in the Ed oh, Sullivan man. Theater and tried it. You need to watch the video. It's very funny. Back to the question. Chocolate hands down we have got too much of a sweet tooth to pass up that opportunity and honestly just like liquid cheese makes me uncomfortable
0: i think i'm gonna go chocolate too i feel like Especially. either
1: situation depending on the type of chocolate would be bad for you as a slightly intolerant uh, yeah. person at least of lactose i don't know about
0: the rest of your life but at least in this way you could be a little more tolerant seth oh definitely yeah, but I'm with you about the liquid cheeses. Like, that's just not the form that cheese is supposed to come in. It's not supposed to come in liquid. It's
1: not supposed to come in whatever Velveeta is, whatever <laughs> state of matter <laughs> that is.
0: I have no idea.
1: Pasteurized. To shred? I think
0: it's pasteurized cheese product or something. That's what it Did says you on tried to box?
1: shred Velveeta? It doesn't break it just like turns into a long spiral it's like you're spiralizing Whoa. a zucchini but it's made oh of God. orange pasteurized cheese product it's ridiculous well i'm glad we can share our chocolate fountains together what's your favorite thing real quick to dip in the chocolate fountain strawberries oh same will you feed me some chocolate covered strawberries yeah right
0: when the episode's over
1: beautiful well, before this gets too romantic, can I read our scripture for us? Yeah, that would be wonderful. Yeah, we need, we need a way out of we this need the that, nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. After these things, Jesus went away across the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. Now, a large crowd kept following him because they were seeing the signs that he was doing for the sick. So Jesus went up the mountain, and he was sitting there with his disciples. Now, the Passover was near, the Jewish festival. And therefore, when Jesus looked up and saw that a large crowd was coming toward him, he says to Philip, Where are we going to buy bread so that these people can eat? Now, he was saying this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii more than a half year's wages would not be enough for them to each get a little and one of his disciples andrew simeon petros's brother says to him there's a little boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish but what are those among so many people jesus said make the people sit down Now, there was lots of grass in that place, so they sat down, about 5,000 of them. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after he gave thanks, he distributed them to the ones who were seated. So also with the fish, as much as they wanted. And what's more, when they all had their fill, he says to his disciples, Go gather the leftover pieces, so that nothing is wasted. So then... They gathered them up and filled twelve baskets from the pieces of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had consumed them. Then, when the people saw the sign which he had done, they began saying, This is truly the prophet who is coming into the world. Then, when Jesus understood that they were going to come and grab him in order to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain, by himself, alone. Now, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea and they got into a boat and began going to the other side, to Capernaum. And it had already become dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. What's more, the sea was churning due to a strong wind blowing. Then, when they had rowed about 25 or 30 stadia, about 3 or 4 miles, they see Jesus. Walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were afraid. But he says to them, I am Jesus. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat arrived at the land toward which they were going. Well, wow, great story, Seth. I see here an abbreviation for the MGVH, and I honestly have no idea what that means. So why don't you tell us a little bit about this version of scripture that we heard from John's gospel today?
0: Sure. So MGVH are the initials of my Greek professor, the Reverend Dr. Mark Vitalis Hoffman. And when he's going to preach, he's nice enough to translate the gospel text for that week and put it online for for anyone to use and to study and to to research. So this is this is a shout out to him, and we can trust him because he's like a genius. Okay, <laughs> like he's brilliant. Yeah, no
1: brilliant people have ever led anyone astray. Ever. Exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, we affectionately call the Reverend Doctor mark vitalis Hoffman, just vh so is there anything from vh's translation that stuck out to you so the first
1: thing was kind of structural thinking about this as an active translation it feels like he was very close to the greek and one of the ways that i pick up on that is how often he had a word at the beginning of the sentence that was like a transitional word so, or then, or after that. It's almost like every sentence required something like that to get to the next sentence. And so that felt to me a little bit closer to, I don't know, hearing this text being read? You know, when we talk, we we add these fillers and things that don't necessarily add to the meaning, but they keep people drawn in. So I was just thinking about you know reading this aloud, thinking about what other settings has this story been told aloud, and I was
0: appreciative of how that opened up that opportunity for me. Mm-hmm. One other way that he does this, and I think this shines through especially well in this text from John, is whenever the the gospel writer uses like a a present active indicative verb, he always translates it with ing like this keeps happening and this is happening and this is happening as opposed to like throwing it into the past like oh they saw Jesus now they were seeing the signs that he was doing for the sick like it makes it much more active so that's another way that like it's both trying to to stay close to the greek and right that ends well, I mean, up being like even a much more that active in story
1: the different verb tenses I mean, I I caught it as I was reading and maybe folks picked up on it listening to it too, but it kind of shifts from past to present tense primarily, just depending on who's talking or what's going on, which I think is is interesting Mm -hmm. too. The thing that stands out to me that I hope we explore a little more is the relationship between these two stories. We we hear the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. There are a couple of feeding stories even within the same gospel that are like this, but across the gospels, this is a story that comes up frequently. Same goes with Jesus walking on the water, (laughs) walking on the sea. I'm just wondering about the connection between those two. I don't have an answer to that, but the fact that these are right next to each other in John's narrative, at least to me, means that there's some level of connection between the two.
0: I'm curious to know what it might be we'll talk about that a little bit later because i have some some kind of general thoughts about that but yeah it does seem like john puts them together for a reason we get these stories in like the other gospels but it's john who who puts them right next to each other right he's trying to do something a little bit different i think so we can we'll definitely talk about that one thing i'll say about our two pieces is that usually on our podcasts when we talk about one text one week we kind of leave that in an episode it's like self-contained but i think here like we have maybe a little bit of overlap with psalm 23. Hmm. i'm not the first person to point this out in the beginning part of our text they lay down in the grass and then in the second half of our text like there's these these still waters it's interesting, just like in Psalm 23, that the people at least sit down in the green pastures, and then next we have Jesus leading them beside the still waters. So we see that that kind of echo of Psalm 23 in the background in John, which I think is like is like a really neat connection. And it just so happens that that was our text last week. You mm. let us you let us through so well, so that's why it's in my interesting, head. yeah. You're welcome. I guess.
1: <laughs> no, that's an interesting comparison, especially since just a little while later in John 10, that Jesus then makes the famous statement that I am the Good Shepherd. That's
0: not it's not an isolated yeah. theme in John. So interesting. One of the things that fascinates me about this passage is what Jesus doesn't say or what gets left out, hmm. especially who Jesus says we shouldn't feed. Or who he decides is worthy of getting the bread. There's just bread for everyone. And that that just keeps striking me. I mean, there's there's not just bread for everyone. There's like way too much bread <laughs> and fish for everybody. I'm just struck repeatedly by the way that that's countered to like this idea of scarcity that we have now. Where like there's only so much money to go around. There's only so much food to go around. There's only so much fame. And then yeah. like these pies get divided because there's only so much of them. Do you remember when
1: we were in college hearing our Irish friend Scott Evans teach about this passage or or one of the versions of this story in the Gospels? Am I Might have just been captivated by his accent. That's true. So Scott is now the chaplain at I believe the University College of Dublin in Ireland. Uh, just an incredible teacher and podcaster all the things he talks about the miracle of this passage might be not that jesus turns five loaves and two fish into like into (laughs) however many loaves and fish (laughs) he needs but that jesus's blessing and sharing prompted by this small child who starts this sharing starts a flood and a wave of continued generosity of people actually sharing the food that they had with them already that they may not have been willing to share I love that interpretation of this passage because it is no less of a miracle for 5,000 men plus the women and children who were with them to share enough to make sure that everyone had their fill and that there were 12 heaping baskets of bread pieces left over like whether that is by the miraculous multiplication of Jesus's hands or by the generosity of the crowd that Jesus provokes, it is a miracle. And that's that's just something that always sticks with me about this passage. Is that if, if it happened by like, I don't know, I just think of the family guy Jesus who makes ice cream sundaes appear with like blue light that shoots out <laughs> of his hands. And that's kind of the vibe I get from how I've often been taught about this passage where it's just like, Look at Jesus keeps breaking the bread, and it's just like more bread. Just keeps, it's, yeah. like, it's like David Copperfield up here, just making more stuff show up.
0: <laughs> it's like David
1: Copperfield. Doesn't it feel more in Jesus's character though to like to cultivate a miracle within the community and among the people with whom he's serving? I don't know. That's it, that's just me. I I wrestle with this one a lot, but. I think wherever you fall, like landing on the fact that a miracle's happening here is really important.
0: If we want to think of this story as like Jesus miraculously just multiplying bread, we end up with a lot more questions. Like, well, how, how does that happen? <laughs> you know, like when he holds the bread and breaks it in half, like does the rest of the loaf fill in and then he just keeps right. doing it, <laughs> right? Like, Like we're left with a lot more questions yeah. than mm-hmm. if we just read this as people who keep like sharing from what they brought with them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think that gets right at the scarcity idea that you're talking about, Seth. It's like everyone coming into this crowd, you know, nervous about what little they have and this simple act of generosity that Jesus then blesses and perpetuates becomes enough for people to realize, hey, maybe, maybe there is enough. Maybe there's more than enough. And that framework and that comparison, that shift, just speaks, I, I, I don't know, it resonates on a really deep level in a lot of ways today, About moving away from a scarcity mentality and
0: mindset. It's interesting for me to think about what really is scarce and the ways that we treat that as unlimited. And then there's some things that are actually unlimited yeah. that we treat the opposite, right? That we treat like, oh, there's only so much of that to go around. Like like I'm thinking particularly of like like natural resources that we just keep exploiting and exploiting. Like thinking like, well that's just always gonna keep being here. But that's actually not true. That one's scarce. Right. And then the opposite is like, oh well, you know, I only I only have so much affection that I can give. Like I have to I have to like meter it out somehow. Yeah. But that's not true. Like I can just keep, you know. I hope I can just kind of keep conjuring it. And somehow it seems like, at least for me, that like the more I the more I keep pulling that from myself, the more I keep giving of myself, somehow like the more there is to keep giving. My cup keeps filling up somehow. And overflowing to go back to Psalm twenty three again.
1: The other piece of this though that's so intriguing related to that, Seth, is why are the disciples getting out of dodge so quickly? <laughs> Jesus it sounds like Jesus is fleeing For his life and they're like well it's Night he's not back I guess we just better go on (laughs) I mean who knows what's not Said here but it's like The logic or lack Thereof in that decision is just so
0: So astounding to me Uh, They're like guess we'll get in the Boat like we're waiting long enough (laughs) We
1: said we were leaving at six He's not here (laughs) (laughs) there's probably it was probably peter that was like he's not here we gotta go (laughs) they had dinner
0: reservations in capernaum and they couldn't miss them yeah exactly is the way that the disciples thinking like it also kind of like a form of scarcity like we only have so much time yeah we gotta get going but like jesus again doesn't seem to operate on that same mentality
1: Yeah. Well, it also seems like to connect the passages like we were, I was asking about before that Jesus's action in the moment multiplies that which they thought was scarce, right? You know, their focus and attention was spent on keeping the boat upright, you know, keeping themselves out of the water. And all of a sudden what Jesus is doing is drawing all of their focus and attention to someone doing something they've never seen before and all of a sudden they have the focus and attention to be drawn away from Hmm. that task to be drawn instead to jesus and then realize or however it happens that the journey that they were on that they were so worried about was over (laughs) and they were on the other side it's amazing that's i don't know that might be maybe i'm reading into that connection uh because of what we're talking about with scarcity but I think I'm with you. I think there's something scarcity-oriented about what the disciples are thinking about that prompts them to go and kind of leave Jesus <laughs> hiding in the woods. Yes.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it feels like we're right on the verge of a conversation about what's the point.
0: Yeah, I think we are too. So, yeah, we've been dancing right on the line like, like we sometimes do. Yeah, so what do you think? I'm challenged by this passage to think about what really is scarce what lies have i been told about what's scarce and what really isn't like it seems like even like sometimes i fall into the same trap that the disciples do that there's like a scarcity of of food like i go to the grocery store i'm like oh i can only buy like certain there's only so many items but that whole store is full right i mean at least where i live in my position let me be clear there's there's more than enough food to go around and then i'm I'm like rationing my own food yeah but the reverse is unfortunately true that in some places there's obviously a scarcity and that food isn't available like how can how can we we redistribute this in a way that's like more equitable how can we start doing that that then continues to reverberate Right? Like, how can we be the little boy who's like, hey, I have I got a couple fish and some loaves and that seems to kind of break open this cycle.
1: Yeah. I think what you said is really profound Seth, is that there is enough to go around. We have ordered our systems, our production, our consumption in a way that doesn't let it get where it needs to go yeah i mean we brought up the example the one that comes to mind is is strawberries like you know folks earning starvation level wages so that we can dip our strawberries in our chocolate fountain (laughs) and feed them to each other And i'm not doing that to like make us feel guilty but it's just like that's that's exactly the point that we're That's the reality we live in is that, you know, for us to go pick something up at the grocery store, it doesn't, as much as my like mind might conceptualize that food comes from the grocery store, it doesn't. (laughs) It's so much more of a journey and process. Yeah, I think you're, you're right on to identify that there is scarcity in our world, but there's also been some really distorted narratives about what's scarce and what's abundant. And so we think about food, we think about finances in a lot of situations. And again, this varies from person to person, but a lot of times people who have enough aren't willing to part with what they have because of trauma of their experiences that tells them that it might be lost at any second. And so we sit on Mm -hmm. nest eggs and 401ks and live, live as though we don't have enough, even when we do, for fear of what we may lose. And meanwhile, we are not, we are not helping our neighbor or addressing the systems that keep our neighbor down in situations where that scarcity is real and painful and not merely, I won't say imagined, because I think for a lot of folks, a scarcity mindset is a true trauma response, but it's, but it's not as profoundly tangible in the ways that it is for others. And, and, I mean, you made the same, you made the same comparison, too, to anything about natural resources. I think of non-renewable energy sources like coal and gas for our cars and all these things. And the narrative around that, again, is you just drive right down the road. You just flip on the light switch. And so much of how the privilege of our world has ordered itself... And it barricades us from the realities of the costs of every decision that we make. You know, when I came in here and have this conversation with you, I turned on three lights in this room. One to light overhead. One so that my background looks nice. And one so that my face is (laughs) nicely lit for you to look at while we're on this Zoom call. And I just did it like it was nothing. But think of all that happened for all that to exist all that has to happen, and how much we're shielded from. And it's so profound that Jesus is here undermining those ideas of scarcity and showing the power of what living in community can do to dismantle those those narratives that have so distorted how we relate to the world and how we relate to one another.
0: I love that it's a little kid who kind of offers or has this this bread and this fish. I'm thinking of the ways that children like haven't been taught about these, these scarcity narratives. Like they've known that there's enough for them, but they haven't been informed yeah. by these trauma experiences. Right. Because so far, maybe in this little boy's life, I'm filling in the gaps here, but in this little boy's life, there's been enough for him. And therefore he can see that like, Oh, if I give of this, there, there will still be enough. That, that's in fact what happened yeah it's the adults unfortunately who like who are much more guarded yeah yeah that's interesting
1: i know that like globally we are rich people but do you remember when you realized that you weren't like wealthy <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i mean again i obviously don't know your own background as well as I know my own, but like have always had enough, have never really worried, but also know that my parents did a lot to make a little go a long way. There is a moment that comes up for a lot of people where you make the realization that I can't have what I want without some significant cost. And it's an important moment in growth. And what I so appreciate here is the outcome of these two stories is that everyone has enough. Everyone has their fill. It's not that everyone has too much. (laughs) It is that there is enough for everyone. That, to me, just makes me think about what does realizing this kind of community, what is that going to cost me? Because I think in
0: a lot of ways, I have much more than I need. I love your point about it's not that people have way too much. It's that they have enough. Right? Like they gather these 12 baskets, which seems like a lot, but that's nothing compared to like the amount they would need to feed everyone again, right? It's yeah. not like there's a ton of leftovers. Right. Maybe. Like I think that that's how I I heard it when I was a kid. They were like, and then they got 12 baskets, and I was like, "Whoa, that's crazy." So much bread. There's so much bread, but it's like, well there's five thousand men plus women and children here, right? To have twelve baskets, like means there is a little bit extra. But it really means that there's enough. It's not overflowing in the way that I pictured it as a child.
1: Well, Seth, I think it is profoundly true that in God there is abundant life where everyone has everything that they need. But we're clearly not there yet. So maybe we should pray. (laughs) Maybe we can
0: get a little closer tonight. Yeah, that seems like a good response to the story. Will you pray with me? I love that. Jesus Christ, in you there is abundant love and more than enough to go around. Help us to give of what's ours, to practice giving without the thought of scarcity, and to protect that which is truly scarce. The world that you've given us amen amen to our listeners thanks for joining us be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode jonathan what story will we tell next week
1: next week we're going to learn a little bit about manna speaking of god's provision in exodus chapter 16 but until then leave us a review and find us on twitter and instagram to continue the conversation Thanks for walking us through that
0: story, Seth. Thanks for helping me tell it.